All right, uh, welcome to the uh, Eric J. The Great Podcast Show. Uh, how you doing? I'm great, and how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. That's good. Thanks for the opportunity for being on your podcast. Oh, yeah, I do uh, episodes like this all the time. So, yeah, I just uh, switched up how I do things. So I only um, drop one episode a week. So uh, this episode of, I think, I think July, I think July, it's, it's in the middle of July. I had to look at my calendar again, but it's in the middle of July. I think this episode will come out. Okay. But uh, first off, uh, you know, tell the people where you're from and, uh, and uh, how I was, you know, growing up. As far as like uh, where you're from as a kid and things like that. Okay. Uh, my name is Dr. Vanessa Howard. My friends call me Dr. V. Vanessa, as long as you don't cuss my name, I'm <laughs> cool with it. <laughs> I'm from the state of Missouri, the show me state. So um, I grew up in the projects. And so that's where my book comes from, from the projects to a PhD. So I grew up in the projects. And a lot of times um, things happen to African-Americans and we don't talk about it, we don't discuss it, but growing up in the projects, um, in, in my book, I talked about how we used to see this white mist, and in the summertime, that white mist was the most cooling thing in the world, but didn't know um, that that white mist was radioactive materials that they were spraying in the projects. So a lot of times, um, they do things when you're low income, and they get away with it. So the state of Missouri, uh, city of St. Louis had a um, contract with the United States. They said that the projects in St. Louis looked like a, the cities in Russia. So they were going to do some experimenting. St. Louis city agreed to it. So um, growing up in the projects, we didn't know any better. So all of the kids just running around this truck and then you could see uh, people on the top of our roof spraying down this mist on us and we didn't know what was going on but I did have a praying mother and that mother prayed and um, she wanted to get us about the projects and so she started working it was seven she had seven kids and she started she went back to school to get us about the projects and it was a good thing that she did but in a nutshell um, growing up at that time a lot of the, the older adults they didn't talk about a lot of things so when I found out what happened when we were growing up that they had sprayed radioactive spray there was a lawsuit uh, the Missouri Bill Senate had a law um, stating that it happened the government admitted to doing it and so I asked my mom I said uh, when they were spraying the spray in the project why didn't you all say anything she said they told us they were spraying for mosquitoes so and sometimes in the heat it they, uh, they probably were did spray for mosquitoes, but that's that wasn't the mist, the gist of the mist. Uh, so, so some African Americans died with cancer. Um, some of the lawsuits did not um, take fruition because they didn't have good good support system or, or good uh, lawyers to representing them. And so, when you got a, a big conglomerate of, of, of lawyers or a big team of lawyers, um, and you have your little peon lawyer, it, things don't go out as it should, but I like the fact that they admitted doing it. I like the fact that St. Louis, I mean, the Missouri uh, Senate bill 
um, acknowledge that it happened. Um, but that that was very life changing for me. Um, and then thinking about growing up in the projects, a lot of times your viewpoint is not good. Um, you, you think that you're not going to make it. You think you might not live. You know, so I probably, if it wasn't for the grace of God, would, wouldn't be here today. Um, but I thank God that I had a praying mother and who believed in education. And that's the thing that she pushed me with, with education, going back to school. Um, and she and I even went to school together because we wanted to open up a daycare um, in the city. And so um, in a nutshell, um, we, we went to uh, HBCU together and uh, our senior year, she ended up having cancer. So I ended up graduating, but she didn't get a chance to graduate because she ended up passing. Um, but that, what that taught me was I had to live my life for two people. So all of those dreams that my mama wanted, all of the aspirations she wanted for me and for my children, I tried to fulfill that dream um, for her because I wanted her legacy to live, her legacy of education, her legacy of excellence to live through me and my children. Um, and even growing up, you have, you go through different things in your career, uh, life, um, and you, you're used to being treated a certain way. You got that muscle memory of being treated a certain way and learning to be more assertive or learning to speak up for myself was something that was kind of foreign for me. Um, but to you all, new generation, I'm 58, I'm proud of it. Uh, but to the new generation, you all have no problem speaking up. So I, I really love that, that that thing with you. We had to uh, hide our feelings and we had to uh, kind of swallow if we wanted to live. We had to hold our thoughts in if we wanted to live. And so to come out of that, it took some therapy, took some uh, prayer, uh, uh, saying positive affirmations to myself and just basically retraining myself from the past traumas that I experienced to help me get into the position that I am now. So right now I work at HBCU, the one that I graduated from at, with the field as the clinical and field director uh, for uh, clinical experiences for student teachers. So I teach student teachers how to teach. So all of the nuts and bolts that I grew up with are um, the, those pitfalls that I had. Now I'm helping future generation teachers do better. And I also teach workshops for dyslexia and do my writing on the side. Okay. So uh, as far as like your uh, your parents, uh, I know you didn't uh, mention that about your father. Was your father in your life or, or no? My father, he was in my life. Uh, he, uh, we lived, again, we lived in projects. Both of them were domestics. Um, so my mom, they, they, they wasn't getting that much money. Um, so they they were married 26 years, uh, grew apart in the later years, and they ended up divorcing. But I, I grew up in a two-parent family. My dad was the person that instilled, helped instill the love of reading. Every Saturday, we had to go to the library. I'm like, man, I want to go to the library. Every Saturday, we had to go to the library, spend a couple hours reading. Um, he started paying us uh, for reading books. And then what I found is the more I read, the smarter I got. And books, uh, even though we moved out of the projects, we lived in North St. Louis, which was okay. It was a step up, but it kept me, those books kept me out of trouble. So 
when a lot of my friends that ended up dying or uh, ended up on drugs or going to jail, I was my safe haven was books. Books were safe for me. They took me to places that I couldn't go or couldn't afford to go. And so I, that helped me develop my love of reading. And my, I can credit my dad for that. And the best thing that my dad taught me was uh, either you're going to stand for something or you're going to fall for anything. And so he taught me to be independent. I don't have to follow the crowd. I don't have to do what everybody else do. I can follow the own beat of my drum and follow my own pathway. So I have no problem with that. Um, so I appreciate him for that. My mom taught me that nurturing side. She taught me how to sew. She taught me how to be um, to be a woman. She taught me how to be a good mother. She taught me how to cook. And both of them have since passed. So a lot of the things that they instilled in me, I'm still doing right now. Okay. So um, um, so is it safe to say as far as like when you was a kid, as activities uh, that you did as a kid, uh, you didn't play any sports or anything like that. You just was like uh, heavy in the books or what? Well, I had six brothers and my brother said, you ain't gonna be no punk. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to play football. I learned how to play baseball. I used to box. But the thing is my dad kept us in the house a lot. So my brothers, <laughs> they used to pay have uh, boxing matches in the backyard and would say, my little sister could beat you up. And they had bets. So people in the neighborhood would come to watch the fights. And my brothers taught me how to fight jab, jab, double jab, uppercut. And they would tell me when to hit certain punches and I could end up not, not knocking them out, but I ended up, I didn't lose any fights because they were coaching me all along the way. Cause they used to do boxing at Tandy. Uh, Tandy and Tandy was one of the places that kind of trained uh, the kids in in North St. Louis to uh, practice for the Golden Globes. Uh, Mike Michael Spinks went there, so uh, for the Olympics. That's why not the Golden Globes, <laughs> the Olympics. So they, they they did a lot of things like that. I took team sports in high school. I used to run track, but I just ran track just to get out the house to get away from my daddy because six brothers, they were so protective of me. Nobody in the neighborhood talked to me. I didn't have no date till I was 18 years old. You better not talk to my sister. So they were threatening everybody. And uh, so, I mean, it was a good experience to be the baby sister, to be protected, protected and to be up uh, with them. But I had a lot of growing up to do myself once they left home. Okay. So uh, did you have anyone in your family that was an author that was real heavy in uh, writing and things like that? Or are you like the, uh, the first person to take that route? I think I'm the first person in my family. Uh, and mm. I'm, I'm, I think I'm the second person in my family with the doctorate. Uh, in my immediate family, uh, education was really stressed uh, for us. Uh, as far as writing books, what happened was the pandemic. What had happened was the pandemic. So, you know, all along you, be, you think about, I wanna write a book, I wanna write a book. And then you never have time, you work it, you got, I was, kids were growing up, I was married, didn't have time. So the pandemic, I'm isolated, kids grown, I'm in the house by myself. So I joined Clubhouse. And in Clubhouse, I met, uh, I, I came into a group, it was a 30 day writing challenge. I met Nalena Kai in a NK Tribe Called Success. 
And she said, I can help you write a book in 30 days. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so I, um, this group is made of uh, black authors um, or underrepresented authors. Some of them are USA Today bestsellers. There are a lot of bestsellers in the book. I meant, I forgot to mention my book is the number one bestseller on Amazon. It was number one for eight days on Amazon. Uh, but anyway, but I worked with the group and they taught me how to uh, edit. They taught me the ins and outs of publishing. Um, they gave me, taught me how to edit, um, gave me feedback. We did writing sprees together. So they helped build. I already had the desire, but I didn't know how to do it. But when you're working with authors, it takes another author to help you reach that goal. So they helped me. And so, you know, I'm still with the tribe and the tribe, we still, we support each other. So when one person book come out, we all support it. So there was, there are like 30 of us in there. So we, we all use our social media. One person has a book, boom, we all hit it. And, and we uh, advertise it and we all support each other um, promoting books and, and not just promoting books, but helping each other. Cause it, you think about the pandemic, either you lost weight, you gained weight. You went crazy, something happened to you. So we had a group of authors that were just supporting each other. And sometimes when you have, when you, when I first started writing, my kids didn't understand because I had to tell them, this is my writing time. You can't come in my office, you can't come in. And so and my, I had to tell my grandkids, I had to protect that time. And so a lot of people didn't understand that at first, but now that they see the end product, they understand. So they give me my writing time, they give me my space. Um, but the, the tribe is my support and that's how we just work through things. Um, and, 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 and like, like I said, it's hard for people to understand why you're writing so much, why you're sitting down so much, or you, you have a vision, you have a goal and you have things that you need to do. And in order to get there, you have to follow through with the plan. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the pandemic, uh, was a very uh, unique situation. It kind of uh, uh, sparked something in me too, because uh, that's uh, the month that the pandemic first happened. That's when the, uh, I started my podcast. So okay. So yeah, I did it, April twenty twenty. That's when I did my first episode. So and I just kept uh, doing it ever since. But as far as uh, so around what time frame was this going on um, as far as like you uh, going through the process of that 30-day challenge and uh, writing uh, your first book? My book coach told us we were going to write that book in 30 days. So January, we started writing. We had a goal of writing 500, 500 words per day. Um, sometimes I met the goal. Sometimes I didn't meet the goal because life circumstances can bring you some arrows and push you off track um but uh we had a goal of writing 500 words a, a week so we started in I mean, 500 words a day we started in january of 2021 um by march it was in the editing process so i had finished so i uh, tried edits we have our own book uh cover everything is in-house it's like motown nalena kai created a motown for book writers so we have our own book covers, our editors and all of that stuff. So I went through all of that process. And then by June, um, it was published. Um, I think it was June 16th that it came out. So it's from June to March, I did the writing, the rewrites, 
went through the editing process, then tried those master uh, authors, read through the book. Some of them read through the book, gave me other feedback. And so the revision process took a little bit longer than the actual book because wanted to get out the best product possible. Okay. So besides the pandemic uh, aspect of just having a little extra time on your hands, what really inspired you to uh, put a book out? Because, you know, like I uh, tell other authors that I come across, I think, you know, uh, authors are the most courageous people just because it takes a lot to, you know, put your story out to thousands of people knowing, you know, personal things you went through. A lot of people, you know, don't have the guts to do that. So what well, what what inspired you to go on the journey to do that? And uh, how many uh, books you have out right now? And uh, just uh, name the titles and just give a brief description of what they're about. Okay. Uh, what maintained me was that book from the Projects to a PhD. Because basically it has... It talks about growing up in the projects. It also talks about being a uh, human Barbie doll. Uh, my parents were domestics. So you think about it, in the 60s and early 70s, who did the affluent uh, white children play with? Us. Oh, yeah. So I was, a, I was actually, I feel like a human Barbie doll. My parents would dress me up, take me to these mansions because they work in, in those houses and it triggered a lot of information, a lot of memories for me. So that book encompassed a whole lot of things that shaped me into who I am. Uh, some racism I felt met in a job once I got my doctorate degree, how some people reacted to me. So at the gist of this book was to just try to, a lot of times the higher up you go, people will ask you, well, Vanessa, why do black people feel so angry? Well, Vanessa... Why do black people do this? So I got tired of being asked that question. So that was the premise of this book. So I shared some, uh, about eight stories, different incidents in my lifetime to explain why we may feel the way that we do. And then my last chapter, I talk about ways in which we can do better. So if you see something, don't laugh at jokes that are inappropriate, say something. So my last chapter talks about that. And then from there, I, it inspired me to do a conference. So I did a social justice conference in April on April Fool's Day on purpose on April Fool's Day because I was like, now you know, you got to do better, you know. And so I did a social justice conference, and I pulled together a lot of resources and experts. They talked about trauma. Um, we talked about how special eds need to be treated um, and how to support students that are different, how to support them. And then from that, um, I personally had some incidents with my granddaughter in school. The teacher did a lot of contrived writing and kept saying, um, your granddaughter can't write and, and was trying to label her. And I was like, hold up, wait a minute. So I started looking at the things that she was having to write. It was just contrived. Uh, write about a goldfish, tell where he lived, uh, what he eats, his diet, where he grew up, how the parents, how they have babies. So my granddaughter wasn't interested in that. So we started writing things that she was interested in and ended up, we ended up writing a book and her book is published. I helped her and supported her and um, it's titled uh, Nayla, um, The Life and Times of a Curious Kid is on Amazon. And then the first uh, couple of days, the first uh, week of 
being pub, uh, published, it ended up being a number one new release for Amazon. And so the gist of it is I was trying to show her teacher and show her that when you write about things you're passionate about, so I let her write what she wanted to. So she talked about me. I'm always losing things, which is true. I'm losing things and how she helped me find it. But the gist of it is it taught her how to the writing process with things that she liked. And she even read the book to her school. Um, and then I also wrote a book about uh, Grateful Hearts. And, and it's called Redeem. Uh, God Grace Helps Us Overcome. So I talked about Miriam in, from the Bible and how she was a prophet, a flawed prophet. And we all are flawed in our own way. And so how God can use your flaws to help other people and that don't give up on yourself, that there's always redemption. And no matter what you do, you can find redemption in your life, that God still loves you. And then I'm working on an, uh, my newest book. I'm still in the formation part with that. So I do have three books out. Um, I taught a workshop at, at my church. Um, and um, the gist of it is, the, it was a woman's, a woman's conference and the women were talking about how you can take the scriptures and apply it to your life to change yourself. So I started thinking 21 day renewal. Uh, so in 21 days, it takes 21 days to change a habit. So if you wanna change your thinking, we've been beat down, bruised, trauma. And if you wanna change your thinking, you gotta replace it with something else. So I had some, uh, got to have scriptures um, and also a positive affirmation and a journal. So the teach, the uh, women can write a vision, write their vision, follow this 21 day, say the affirmation, read the scripture and come up with something positive that happened at the end of the day. Start your day off positive, end it positive. And in 21 days, you should be able to reframe and reboot your thinking to where it should be, not just thinking about negative things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's some very, uh, interesting books, you know, uh, well, what would you say is the most uh, impactful book that you have out right now? And uh, and uh, just describe the process of, you know, when you first start putting these books out, all the feedback and stuff that you start receiving. The most impactful book for me personally is the one that I did with my granddaughter. And it was a labor of love uh, to teach her the writing process where she had to do first draft. She cried, I cried. Um, she had to do her first draft. We came up with the ideals. She did her chapter outlines and then I have to go back and revise. She was like, I'm, I'm finished. I said, yeah, you are, but we can make it better. Read it out loud and see if it makes sense. And that's something that authors do. Uh, adults, you, you'll type it and you'll say it's finished. But if you don't read it out loud, and hear it, you can't catch some of your errors. So that helps catch some of your errors. Um, and then so with her, she after she wrote it, I typed it up and then we listened to the it read, read it aloud. And so she was like, that didn't make sense. I said, right, right. Now, what can we do to make it make sense? So that labor of love of teaching her how to go through the writing process and accept constructive feedback. And it also taught me how to pull back on the feedback and just sort of asking questions and coach her on how 
she can make it better? Or what do you think? How does this sound to you instead of me telling her the answer? And so I'm taking what I taught her with myself. So the new book that I'm writing, I go back and I ask myself, well, what can I do to make it better? How can I change this? Or um, I read it out loud or I let the computer read it to me. And you think about when the computer reads the text to you, it's monotone, the cat and the bat. So if it's not exciting listening to it monotone, what do you think it's gonna be? How do you think it's gonna be exciting when somebody else is reading your book? So that that's a tip for any author or any person that's reading. Listen to the dictation. When you get tired of writing, sometimes you can dictate it on your phone and then you can trans, uh, transcribe your phone, your dictation into text or even um, just use the dictation part of your computer um, just to break up the monotony. And sometimes I actually, I'll draw a picture. Sometimes drawing a picture will help me pull me out of a slump playing music. I'll play some music and have my sunflower seeds and, and go to town in here. And you would think it was a party, it's party central, but you have to find out what motivates you. What, how do you learn and what motivates you to keep you focused? And once you find that out, you can push through um, and, and get that uh, finished product. What keeps me motivated and keeps me pushing and pulling is tribe. tribe we have check-ins, we have weekly check-ins, we have daily check-ins, how are you doing on writing, what are you doing? And that knowing that I have to check in and knowing that I have a team of people or a tribe uh, depending on me or a tribe that's uh, uh, rooting me on gives me the motivation necessary. So probably if you had a coach or you had someone else that, that you could spin ideals off on, that would help you out as a writer um, to finish your projects instead of just starting and stopping um, things. Okay. So uh, for anybody that just starting out as an author, just uh, kind of uh, list some pros and cons to being an author. And uh, also, uh, um, dang, it just slipped my mind. Uh, yeah, pros and cons to being an author and uh, yeah, start off with that first. I got to remember the other question because uh, I had it in my head. Okay, no problem. So the pros of being an author is you, one, you have, you complete a project. Two, you have a story to tell. Somebody needs to hear it and you're going to help somebody else. Um Another pro is it, it pulls you out of your, your, um, your bubble. Um, when you write, you have to use more cognitive skills. If you don't notice that every time you have to write something, something else is more important. But writing is a slow down process for reading and you have to think and you have to focus to do it. So a lot of times you'll avoid that task. Sometimes I do it too. So it will help you focus. It would help you uh, learn how to be express, how to express yourself. There's only so many ways you can say said, and you keep saying said in a book, you're gonna lose your readers. So it teaches you to tap into your creative side. Sometimes with your regular life, you are so busy, caught up with data, working, meeting deadlines that you push that creative creative side apart. That writing will bring out that creative juices in you. One of the cons would be um, sitting all the time. 
So I got I have a pad uh pad on my back. Sometimes I have to put a pad on my tail because my butt is hurting because I'm sitting so long. Um, it's it's a sitting down process. But what I have learned um, to help me out is when I get into those uh, my sometimes your body aches from sitting in the same position all day or typing for so long. Sometimes you'll get into a a, a role or you are you in a, in in a um, the ideals are coming. So you're trying to get them out. And sometimes those ideals are coming at two, three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you're up a couple of days. That's a con. It's, a, it's good, but you got to have balance in your life. But what I have learned is when I get into those funks, when I'm writing, I have a trampoline and I just jump on it. I get on tramp, trampoline in my living room and I jump and then I come back in. By, by the time you, you jump and get that exercise in, the blood pumping, then I can come back in and do an extra push. But the uh, pro and con is you have to have balance in your life because you have an outside life. Um, to be honest with you, that first book, those three months, I stayed in the office. I didn't do any, I didn't do much of anything but write, but I missed out on a lot. But not really, because we were in a pandemic, but I missed out on relationships with my family. But that writing during that pandemic, it kept my mind because when you buy yourself, I'm single. When you buy, I'm single, man. But anyway, when you buy yourself and you don't have anything productive to do, idle mind, you're gonna you're gonna get into some trouble. You're gonna do some things. But that writing kept me focused, helped me uh, engaged, and to be honest with you, it helped revitalize my career. Uh, and why I'm saying that is it gave me the, the confidence that I needed because uh, now everything that I dream that I want to do, I'm doing it. You know, and like some people, you're 58 years old, you wrote a book, you're 50 years, you're 50 years old and you got your PhD. And so it's the second, and then some, some, I hate that saying, there's more behind you than it is before you. That's not how I feel. I feel like I got a lot to do. I have a lot that's before me. And I'm going to get the doggone thing done. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we, we don't know how long we're going to be here, but, you know, you just have to knock down as many milestones you can as while you're here. And don't waste no time. Uh, I don't look at stuff like that either. But uh, uh, I remember the question I was going to ask. So as far as the uh, the author thing, so is this like something that you're just doing right now? Or can could you see yourself doing this uh, long term for the next, you know, 10 years or so? I can see myself doing this long term. Uh, Stephen King, I, I was I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his because he's, he's just wicked crazy. But he uh, I was reading, researching him and he said he come out with one book a year. I have three books that came out this year and having a fourth one. That's oversaturation. Some of that could have waited till next year, but I, I it's, it's already done. But I will try to do at least one or two books a year. Um, the thing that I'm kicking myself about is I do go to church and my pastor saw something in me maybe about eight years ago. And uh, when I graduated uh, with, with one of my degrees, I was, it's an education specialist degree right up under my doctorate. He gave me a pen and he said, daughter Vanessa, 
I'm giving you this pen because you're getting ready to write a book and it's going to be a bestseller. And I want you to use this pen to write and sign your checks, the checks that you're going to earn, you're going to get. It's going to be a bestseller. Start writing your book. He told me that eight years ago, I didn't do it. Wow. He, has, he has since passed. Uh, I still have the pen. Uh, but that clubhouse brought back that memory. And I even dedicated part of my book to him because he did instill that in me. But there's a lot of stories that I can share um, to help other African-American, to help other young children. And like even my granddaughter's book, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that I'm led to do because there are a lot of African-American kids in school that's being told that they can't do stuff. And it's because it didn't, it's no interest to them. You tell me, uh, like I, I, I'm a former principal. I had a student. She, before she came to school, she babysit her infant brother. She got her other kids, bro the brothers and sister dressed because mom worked nights. So when she came to school, she wasn't worried about school things. And so the teachers, they were, you know, she won't do this. And she, she stayed in the office. So one day I just had a conversation with her. And she told me all the things that was, was going on with her. So I bought a bean bag, some pillows. I had soft music in my office. And I said, baby, whenever you need to go to sleep, ask your teachers, you can come in my office, you can go to sleep. And I said, and, uh, but you still got to keep up with your schoolwork and stuff. And I said, I'll help you do that. And then like some of the teachers were like, uh, Ms. Howard, why are you doing that? I said, she's going through a lot. She's, she's going through a lot. And so because I did that and I believed in her, the attitude started dropping. Those defenses started dropping and she started doing better in school. So my, my gist right now, we got a generation of kids in a pandemic, no fault of their own, who are behind in some of their skills. And so I want to do things to encourage them to reach for the stars. You can do it. And though you may have, uh, we, we used to call it efficacy. I don't know what the term is now. Some students can come to school and they can get it just like that, get an A. Then there are some students that come to school and I'm one of them. I had to read something three times to get it. I had to read it. Sometimes I had to take notes. I had to go back and read it again, but I got that A. So it doesn't matter how the, eff the effort that you have to put in to get it, you're still smart. So just because somebody get it fast and quick and furious, and you have to take a little bit extra effort, that doesn't mean you're not capable. So I wanna inspire kids to know that one, an African-American girl who has challenges in her life and challenges in school, she's overcoming those challenges by putting in those efforts. And then the books that she's writing about is to encourage other African-American students to write. And so what I'm doing at my, my church, I'm doing that too. I'm encouraging kids to write more. And, and because she did it, some other kids are saying, I can do it too. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good thing that you uh that you got going on. So uh, as far as your goals, uh, what's some of your short and long term goals as far as uh your life and uh the whole author process? You know? My long term goal is to be on Oprah's uh 
book reading list, um, USA Today bestseller, um, New York Times bestseller. That's my ultimate goal, uh, long-term goal. My personal goal is to continue writing and to inspire others to write and also to eventually start coaching and sharing um, writing strategies with other want-to-be authors because we have a lot of stories to tell, a lot, and, and, and be, nobody is telling our stories for us. And um, our stories not only can help our community, it can help other people because our story is really universal. It's a people story. It's a human rights story. Um, there's some things that we can do better. Um, I think that's about it. I, I want to coach other people and share what I know. I want to continue writing at least one or two books a year. Um, my granddaughter, I'm doing a, I'm going to pair with a school and we're going to give away her books to a school. And then we're going to do a family phone literacy night and invite the parents in to do some learning activities with her book. I'm in the process of doing that. I want to do, my goal is to get that done in September or October. Um, one, to inspire other writers. Two, to give kids a book that looks like them and speaks like them. And it might encourage them to also become a writer. Um, the Family Literacy Night is to help parents understand that there are some things that you can do to help your students, your child be better in school. So with the university that I work with, I'm going to um, partner that with them to do that. And then I'm going to let them also speak to my granddaughter so she can share with them the process she went through to be a writer. So one, that is to give them a book of with a kid that looked like them. Two, to inspire some more new writers. Three, to show parents how you can work with your kids at home. And um, four, just to make this world a better place for our students. Because one day they're going to be taking care of me when I'm in a now, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak that into existence, but one day when I'm old, when I go to the hospital, I want to know that that person is capable of taking care of me and and doing the right thing by me because they have learned morals, they have learned to be crit critical thinkers and problem solvers, and they can help me maintain a, a quality life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... Uh, did you uh, have anything else that you want to put out to the people or uh, want people to know about your uh, books that I might not have uh, covered? Well, you can find me on social media. You can just type in uh, Dr. Vanessa Howard or you can type in Dr. V. Howard. My website is howarducity.com. So it's Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D. The, the letter U and city, C-Y-T-Y.com. You can find me on any social media, typing in Dr. Vanessa Howard, Dr. V. Um, and you can find my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Targets, any place where they sell books. Dr. V don't play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, I like doing uh interviews like this because uh i don't run uh, i've been running across them a lot lately but usually i don't run across a lot of authors so uh, -huh. uh you know i feel like that's the smallest uh career field 
you know, because uh, you don't hear a lot of people just going around saying they write books. And I know uh, uh, just people I've met on Clubhouse and uh, a couple other people that I know uh, kind of uh, got me wanting to write a book. So uh, I always, uh, I told my mom the other day that I was going to uh, write a book about basically how I grew up and uh, um, what I went through in the military because I was in the military for eight years. I got medically uh, retired two years ago. You know, I've been to Afghanistan, did all that cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I don't just do these type of interviews. Uh, I don't know if you uh, listened to any of my previous episodes as far as uh, when I talk about real life stuff, as far as like police brutality, fake friends, child support, you know, things that uh that's the main reason i started it just to do interviews and to talk about stuff that i know people gonna come across in their everyday life so uh um anytime you want to come on and talk about any real life stuff or anything you got going on as far as your uh work and things like that you hit me up anytime i will and thank you thank you for the opportunity opportunity to uh, present myself and and thank you for the work that you do. Um, I have looked at your podcast. Marie McKenzie is my sister in the pen. Um, There were four of us that came out with a book in June. And so we're doing an anniversary uh, or a year long, a year in review of how we, we, uh, what we're doing now. So Four of us started the writing challenge. There was a total of about 13, maybe 19 of us, but four of us stuck it out. And all four of us ended up becoming number one Amazon bestsellers because one, the tribe, two, we had a good product, and three, we wrote about some things that people really wanted to hear. So uh, you need to get that book done. Um, Somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear your story. You may encourage somebody else. because sometimes when we're isolated or we keep things to ourselves, we don't realize that somebody else has experienced what we've experienced. Right. So you want to share your story, not just your podcast. So <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> you need to look Marie or myself up or uh, anyone in tribe can help you out with that experience. Right. Uh, absolutely. I uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, hit me up anytime you want to come on a podcast. And uh, this concludes today's episode. And uh, you have a good night. Uh, thank you, Eric J. the Great. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good one. You too. <laughs>